Welcome to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast. A sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question, Does this hold up or did I just ruin my childhood? My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. And we are finally reviewing Fantasy Island, the classic show from the 70s and 80s. Yep. Late 70s, early 80s. Yep. And as of this recording, um... So here's the thing. It was on Tubi, and then it was not to be. (laughs) (laughs) Tubi or not Tubi? Yeah, that's the second time I've made that pun on this podcast. Um, So I'm assuming that it's going to come back to Tubi, but we did watch episodes that were on YouTube. So a couple different ones than what we had planned, but we're going to post those on our blog and we're still excited to be talking about it. We took a little bit of a break from our normal format. Well, yeah, because we had the Father's Day special and then we also had the 25th episode special. Yes, the 25th episode extravaganza, which ran in its initial length about two and a half hours, but I was able to cut it down. It, so it that cut down quite people a People wouldn't be too overwhelmed. But we looked at the fifth element for that. And if you haven't seen that, definitely go back and listen because I think it was a fun time and we talked a little bit about the show. So if this is your first time with us today... That's a good one to catch up on. Yeah, definitely. It was a great one. And before that, you had your brother in the studio. Yeah, I had my brother Kevin for our Father's Day special. The studio meaning our home office, by the way. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, ran the BMX bike movie, which I also got to watch with you, and I really enjoyed it as well. So that was a fun... you didn't get to do reviews. No, I didn't, and I didn't get to eat any of the Skittles. They tossed you out of the studio. (laughs) the Skittles were gone by the time I got to them. That's true. But today, we have our... Our non-sponsored snack. And our non-sponsored snack today is Gushers. Tropical fruit Gushers. Yeah, we're doing Fantasy Island, so I wanted something tropical fruit flavored. Mm -hmm. Um, But because of supply chain issues, I couldn't get fruit (laughs) (laughs) roll-ups. But I I remember Gushers. I thought it would be a fun revisit. I, I may have had Gushers once or twice. But we didn't really have a lot of... We had some fruit snacks in our house. Yeah. But we didn't really have a lot of, like, super sugary stuff. Well, the other thing is, too, that Fruit Gushers came out in 1991. Okay. So one of the things there is that I feel like they didn't really become popular, at least in my area, until maybe 94, 95. By that time I was in high school, like, I didn't care about candy as much yeah. but they come in little baggy you know that you buy a box of them they come in little packages so this seems to me to be like more of like something you throw in a kid's lunch like yeah definitely snack. and by the time you're in middle school high school you're not yeah by 91 i was pushing eighth ninth grade so i probably wouldn't i would have been buying lunch and things right like that. and also like a lot of our snacks um are also halloween candy these are not a thing that we're giving out at Halloween. No, but not my at all. brother, I think, really liked these, and I'm sure maybe your younger brother because they were still doing lunches. They may and stuff. have, yeah. And I, I think that's where I ate them. You know, we were more like, you know, these are somewhat like a fruit snack, kind of, which we did eat oh. fruit snacks. <laughs> She's eating one now. She's got the gush. Yeah. Um, they are somewhat like fruit snacks. We ate more fruit snacks, or we were we really liked fruit roll-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, which is similar to this, but a little bit less. I view fruit roll-ups as a little less candy-ish mm-hmm. and more fruit snacky. Where this is kind of really on the line between candy and fruit snack. Yeah, 
So these are actually made by Betty Crocker. They and fruit roll-ups as well? Yes. So Betty Crocker was developed in 1920. And so was the Gusher. No. <laughs> <laughs> Betty Crocker was developed in 1920 because at that time, a lot of companies would make up these fictional characters to sell their products and kind of put a face on a larger company product to make it look like a smaller company product. Okay. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. people were used to small products as opposed to like really processed right. you know, stuff. So the, the company felt that Betty was a cheery all-American name and Crocker was the last name of one of the company's directors. Wait, so are you telling me that there really is no Betty Crocker? There's no Betty Crocker. My whole life is a lie. I don't think there's an Aunt Jemima either, but I do think... Stop it. There Stop might it be right an, now. There might be an Uncle Ben. I'm not positive on this. Um, at any rate, yeah, Betty Crocker brand also includes Bisquick, Fruit Roll-Ups, Fruit by the Foot, Dunkaroos, which we're going to revisit at some point, and Hamburger Helper. Hamburger Helper was a big staple in my childhood. Yeah, we might have that for our 50th. Do another <laughs> big meal. Um, but yeah, they have a gem appearance. Some people say that they look like an acorn. But they're a. Um, I feel like they look like a, they look like a little gem, like a little diamond. They're or... a hexagonal bipyramid, mm-hmm. and they're supposed to be kind of like a licorice-like exterior. These are harder to chew than I remember, but a hundred percent, the outside tastes like a fruit roll-up. The outside tastes it tastes like a fruit snack until it blasts in your mouth. That's the gush. Do we want to rephrase that for our spews in your mouth? No, no. it tastes like a fruit. <laughs> <laughs> it tastes like a fruit snack until you get the gusher. Yeah, until you effect. get that center. Yeah. I don't care for that. I don't know how I feel about the liquid center. They originally came in Strawberry Splash and Gush and Grape. Adults at the time of the release, this article reads, were less than thrilled about the product. The Sun Sentinel held a taste test at the time of the initial launch, and most adults did not rate it very well. Mm-hmm. But kids do really like it. Yeah. They like the excitement of, like, biting into it, and the liquid center kind of explodes and, like, gives you that fruit burst, you know? Yeah. There was a lawsuit because fruit gushers, fruit roll-ups, and fruit by the foot misled consumers into thinking that they were healthier because of their labeling having like fruit on well, the yeah. package and they have fruit juice in the center no, no they don't they have like corn syrup um they are gluten-free i'm able to eat them but basically what they did was they took the strawberries off of the packaging for the strawberry flavored because <laughs> they were like we can't even in good yeah. sense do this yeah um and like the grapes off of the grape packaging and things like that but complex magazine ranked fruit gushers the second best fruit snack of all time, just behind another Betty Crocker product that I don't think they make anymore. I've looked for Shark Bites. They put... Wait a second. I loved Shark they Bites. They put Shark Bites and Gushers above Fruit Roll-Up? Yeah. Yeah, I have some cons- I have some concerns with that. And also, like, genuine fruit leather? Oh, I just got... Sorry. There's the gush effect. No, I, I can't. So these are tropical flavored. I don't know what, what flavor that was. Like a... Tropical? No, like, you know... <laughs> You know how some are like lime or you just got palm flavor. I think I'm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it yeah. It wasn't lime and it wasn't pineapple, mango maybe or it, like it's, a It's like a dark blue, so I don't know. Yeah, it's a dark a blue. I I don't know. I didn't I didn't do that part of my research. So I didn't care for so it. So let's rate them. Out of 5 airplanes. All right. For Fantasy Island. For Deplane. Okay. Okay. Out of 5 airplanes. 
What do you rank oh, gushers? Uh, okay. The outside is ch- too chewy. It's more chewy. Like, I like those Welch's fruit snacks. Yeah. They have just the right amount of gumminess. This is too chewy. And some of the flavors, as you guys could tell, are really not pleasant. So I maybe if I had the original, I would feel different. But I got to go with a two on this one. Yeah, I'm going to give it a two Yeah, for me as well. Same thing. The outside, the consistency is not even really fruit snacky. It's more waxy to me. Yeah. And I really do not like the... I don't know if I don't like the gush sensation or the actual... I, I, I air quote juice... That's inside the gushers. Yeah, the liquid center. Um, but it just, yeah, I don't care for it. You know what it tastes like? Okay, when you had fruit roll up, you know how like you play with your food as a kid, yeah. especially something like fruit roll. Remember when fruit roll up had the, they had the tongue tattoos, yeah, and stuff. But if you rolled up a fruit roll up in your like fist and yeah. like made it hard, and then I don't know, left it out in the sun. <laughs> I was gonna say because I do roll up. I still, when I eat fruit roll ups, roll them oh. up in a like that's the only way to eat a fruit roll up. Oh, that's... You, you you mangle it into well, a listen, center. We're gonna into have like to have that conversation. And then you chew no. it. I sometimes I don't understand men. <laughs> Um, but it's just like the Skittles conversation you and Kevin had during Rad. But if you did that and then left it like in a cupboard for a while, that's the consistency yeah. I'm getting from those. All right. So. Yeah. Two, Two airplanes, airplanes out, out of five, five for fruit gushers. Mm-hmm. And we're actually on the same page, which on the candy, we're usually not. That's true. So that's kind of surprising. And I'm usually a fruit candy guy, but this just doesn't cut the mustard for me. Matter of fact, mustard would probably improve the taste. Oh, no. Do you think that's because we're adults? I bet it is. I bet if we were kids, we would. I refuse to accept that. All right. So let's have an overview of Fantasy Island. So Fantasy Island, if no one has ever seen it before... Um, the concept is that there's this island where you can pay $50,000 <laughs> to go and live out your fantasy. Yes. Mr. Rourke runs the island. He has a few assistants, mainly Tattoo in mm-hmm. the beginning. They add a little bit later. But the goal is you come in by seaplane. It's very... It, it looks kind of like Hawaii, but it's supposed to be, I think, just in the like South Pacific. Yeah. Um, and you you fly in, and you're kind of the seaplane leaves, so you're trapped there until your fantasy's done. Um, and also, once your fantasy starts, it has to be seen through till it the has end. to be finished, right? And he warns you about that. Yes. So anyway, this Mister Roar kind of runs the island, and he oversees the fantasies. And normally, they do three guests per episode. Sometimes two. Sometimes two, depending. Yeah. But there's two to three guests per episode, so there's two to three different storylines going on in each episode. Right. And Mr. Work pops in and out of all of them and kind of keeps an eye on it. Um, and by the end, hopefully what happens is the person may not come to realize what their real... Like, they may not come... Their fantasy may not come to fruition, but they may learn a better lesson from it. So yeah. they may get what they want, or they may realize that what they wanted wasn't really what they needed. Yeah, it's a little bit like Twilight Zone, maybe, that people get what they don't expect. Yes. Or any, really, any story where there's like a magic lamp. 
Yes. Where or like the monkey's paw. Yeah. I was say some of the newer ones, it's a little bit darker. A little bit. Yeah, it's it's weird because some went dark and some went kind of yeah. campy with where, it. Where the one the one thing about the original seven seasons mm-hmm. is that while some of them may have kind of had a some of them may have had a surprising or even kind of a serious tone to the fantasies. Yeah. Mr. Rourke was always kind of benevolent and usually merciful in some way and kind of helped save them if they needed to or or point them in the right direction. Except for the pilot, which we also did watch part of, and we're going to talk about yeah. that a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. So the difference here, I just want to say ahead of time, when we do the recap, we kind of talked about this and we decided there were three guests yep. for the episode we watched, which was... Season 5, episode 12, The Magic Camera, Matahari, Valerie. So we're going to go through each one of those stories individually because they cut back and forth so much that we felt like if we talked about, like, and then we're back to Matahari, and now we're over to Valerie, and now we're back to The Magic Camera, like, it might be kind of confusing. Yeah. So we're going to talk about each one of those individually when we get to our full recap. Yep. But first... Let's talk about some fun facts. What I found the most interesting is that, so the pilot actually is a two-hour miniseries. Mm-hmm. It started in 1976 and it ran through 1984. Okay. So a pretty good run. Yeah. Um, and it it was created by Gene Levitt, but also um, Aaron Spelling had a hand in it, who is known for a variety of shows. Um, what do you know Aaron Spelling most from when I say that name? Aaron Spelling, 90210 is what I Right, yeah, which we haven't revisited yet, yeah. but we will. And then what was the, was it Melrose Place he did after that? Yeah, Melrose Place, but Aaron Spelling did Charlie's Angels, The Love Boat, Heart to Heart, Dynasty, Beverly Hills, 90210, Melrose Place, Seventh Heaven, Charmed, The Mod Squad, The Rookies, and later on Sunset Beach. Um, and those are just a few of the things he worked on. Yeah. Also known for being the father of Tori Spelling, who we saw in Trip Beverly Hills. <laughs> yes. Also <laughs> 90210. And 90210. But we watched, but for the podcast, we saw her in right. Trip Beverly Hills. Basically, Aaron Spelling did so many shows for the network, and he was talking to the network executives and pitching ideas for two-hour TV movies, mm-hmm. which were huge in the 70s and 80s, and we're going to visit some of them later this year. And they didn't like any of his ideas. And finally, he was like, what do you want? An island that's like magical where everybody's sexual fantasies come true? And they were like, yeah, make the, go yeah, make this. supposed to be. He was a joke, and they yeah, actually liked it. It was yeah. kind of a joke, which I just think is so funny. So then... Gene Levitt comes into it to actually really do the development. He had written um, for radio programs, starting with The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. And he's really most well known for this, but he also assisted with Hawaii Five-O, Alias Smith and Jones, Highway Patrol, Adventures in Paradise, like a number of different okay. shows and projects and um, things like that. They really both have quite impressive filmographies. You know, when you when you look at the roster of what they've done. So they hire Hervé Villachez as mm-hmm. Tattoo to be the assistant. Hervé Villachez has such an interesting life. 
because he was born in Nazi-occupied France, and he was a little person. He had um, dwarfism due to an endocrine disorder. His father was a surgeon and kind of tried to cure this, but that did not work. And because of that, he really, he was kind of neglected and abused. Later on, he did a philanthropic and charity work where he would like go and counsel some of the abuse victims okay so quite interesting he was also a painter and went to art school and then came to the united states from france in 1964 he lived in the bohemian section of new york city and basically steve just like with splash guess how he learned english watching tv watching tv of course that's how you do that's it. how you do it his big break in terms of acting, The Man with the Golden Gun in 1974. And by that point, he was living in his car in Los Angeles. And he was working in, like, pest control. Okay. Um, so it was, like, quite a, um, quite a big break. So a lot of people think that he was in all of Fantasy Island. But the fact of the matter is that about a year before the end of the show... Now, there were some rumors that he had been, like, hitting on some of the women mm -hmm. who would come on the show and production assistant stuff, and that he was kind of arguing with production. But the real reason that he was replaced is that, basically, he asked for a salary as high as his co-star, Ricardo Montalban. Yeah. And they said no, and then they fired him. The other thing, I mean... Which they did back then. And this is, I mean, first off, he broke a, a number of glass ceilings in the fact that there were not a lot of little people in yeah. TV or, or, or movies at the time, right? But also, uh, what I will say in defense of the show and his demand for as much money as his co-star is Ricardo Montalban wasn't really his co-star. Ricardo Montalban is pretty much the star of the show, and he was he played a sidekick. Um, but I think that's what he was asking for. I think he okay. was asking for like a larger piece of it, a okay. larger role and the yeah. equal salary. But the fact is, you know, this is something that happened like on Three's Company, on Valerie, which yeah. later became the Hogan family. Like you had typically people who were minorities or women trying to get like equal pay for equal work and and just they would just cut them out they would just cut them and <laughs> valerie was a big one because she was the lead <laughs> yeah the lead and they just but, cut her out and and that that show ended up like kind of doing okay but right. here it only lasted the one extra season without him yeah now was it on its way out anyway possibly yeah some of those later episodes are quite campy two seasons previously they had already brought julianne yeah, for just assistant. one season, yeah. Um, she was Rourke's niece. Yeah, he mentions her in one of the episodes as his is his goddaughter. Yeah, so Ricardo Montalban, let's talk about him. The, yeah. uh, the the star of the show. Yes. He was from Mexico, which is also to me kind of unusual that you have this huge network show with somebody from Mexico and somebody from France. At that period of time. Yeah, well, he had already done quite a bit. Montalban was a big television oh, star yeah, in Mexico and movies, and he was already starting to cross over here in the U.S. Planet of the Apes, Escape from Planet of the Apes, Conquest of Planet of the Apes, and then, infamously, Khan! Uh, yeah, I mean, but Khan was, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan was in what year? 82, but the original... So he was already in the midst of doing But the original Island. Star Trek was in 67, the first movie he was yeah. also in. And also, one of the... 
<laughs> I didn't find this out in research. This is a fact that I found out a while ago, mm-hmm. and I filed it for this episode. Ricardo Montalban was very angry because he was extremely fit, and there and they did. Like, when he was in Star Trek, they painted him, because he's a genetically enhanced human as Khan. They painted him just to kind of give him a tiny bit more, like, so you could see the definition. Six-pack kind of thing, yeah. But he had, like, an (laughs) eight-pack. And people people thought that he had worn, like, a stomach piece or a chest piece. Mm -hmm. And he was like, that's me. Yeah. Like, I just work out. I'm super fit. (laughs) And he would get, like, kind of cranky about it, apparently. Um, Sorry. I just find that so... I just kind of find that so funny. But he had been in a number of things. But he was not the first choice for this. And the network's first choice was Orson Welles. Yes. Yeah. Which I'm actually glad they didn't go with him. Um, and let me guess, the reason they didn't go with Orson Welles is because he's hard to work with. Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> big time. Orson Welles is notoriously difficult, Very difficult to work, work with. And I don't think the show would have gone more than a season because he would have fought with producers and gotten angry about something. I, and I also don't out. think he would have portrayed the same atmosphere as ricardo montalban did no ricardo montalban has a very like he's trying to make it seem mysterious and i think that when you have a real adventure there has to be a little bit of danger to it or Mm -hmm. a little bit of mystery because even though ultimately other than the pilot (laughs) most of the episodes are campy and fun and they end on a positive note you do have Bad things happen, and he warns people about things. And even if they don't necessarily, like, get hurt, they might come to a different psychological understanding of right. or a different emotional place, yeah. right? And so he keeps that kind of air of mystery, which I do feel in the... We'll talk about the reboots later, but I do feel that in two of the three reboots, they kind of tried to keep that type of mystery going a little bit. Yes. Yeah. We talked a little bit about how Irve did quite a bit. He had some activism and he helped people and things like that. And so did Ricardo Montalban. He Oh, did he? He, in 1970, which is very, very early in his career still, he started the Nostotros Foundation. Oh, what did that Nostotros do? Nostotros means we. And it basically, he didn't, he didn't like the way that Mexican and Spanish people were portrayed in Hollywood. Interesting. And so that foundation... It basically, you know, we're activists trying to change the way that that Mexican-Americans were portrayed in Hollywood. Yeah, I was just going to say that's interesting because his character here, I'm surprised that they didn't exoticize him. What I mean by that is that it, even now, but it, it sometimes happens, but especially in stuff from the 60s, 70s, 80s, mm-hmm. that as... The U.S. became more diverse. You have people having these roles, but they're looked at as kind of like the other. And right. they're mysterious because they're from a different country. They're, they're a different race. They speak a different mm-hmm. language. But he's not mysterious for that reason. His character is really supposed to be like some kind of an eternal, immortal being yes right so he said that he played the character as if 
He was a fallen angel whose sin was pride, and Fantasy Island was like his purgatory. Like that's what his And that he had to kind of work through that and be there for people on Fantasy Mm -hmm. Island to work through it. And what's interesting is that the 1990 reboot, which had Malcolm McDowell, who was Mm. also in a Star Trek movie. Yep. um, He plays Rourke, and he has a little bit more sinister feel to it i feel yes but that's just because of the acting choices but he also um it's very clear that one of the assist the three assistants it didn't work right but one of the assistants is a greek goddess ariel okay two the other two assistants very clearly state that they are in purgatory and that they have to work for him to dig to themselves out, out. Yeah. yeah so again it's not clear what he did or how he was there but that that's what they're right. doing and at one point like he adds time to their sentence yeah. like that kind of in, thing in the original with ricardo montalban he it's mentioned at one point in the pilot he mentioned he makes a quick passing regard of basically how mortal people are right and and it's like an other statement as far as him talking about everyone else there's also mentions there's in one season in an episode one of the guests is um someone he knows but Mm. it's clear that they had died 300 years ago oh it's someone that he knew they knew him um it's also mentioned at one point he knew helen of troy Right. Um, so and then there's two episodes throughout the entire show where the devil shows up and he knows the devil and they've like competed, like the devil's trying to take the soul of somebody yeah, on the devil Yeah, the devil and Mr. Rourke. That's the second episode. Oh, okay. Is where the devil shows up and pretends to be on vacation. Mm-hmm. But in really he's after Rourke's soul. But earlier they have an episode where he shows up and he's trying to get the soul of one of the guests. Oh, and it, it's, it's basically laid out that this has happened before and work always wins. Right. But again, so you have this eternal kind of immortal kind of Yeah, and it's a line. little play on like the devil and Daniel yes. Webster. Yeah. Um, the plane. 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 Was a Grumman G44 Widgeon seaplane. Mm-hmm. With the pontoons on it. It was manufactured in France and initially not completed because they didn't like somehow of the way that it was constructed. Yeah. So it seems like a plane that hadn't been, that wasn't used very often, but (laughs) there's this book um, that it was, it was the, the actual plane, right? Um, for some episodes, the guests were climbing out of like a mock-up made to look like the back of the plane, okay. like a paper mache and wood, but it was owned by a charter company. And then it also belonged to an author. And he mentions in, in one of his books, Richard Bach, not Richard Bachman, which is the pseudonym for Stephen King. I got yeah. confused for a second. Basically, he indicates that it may have accidentally or without his full knowledge, it was rented to people who smuggled drugs. Oh, okay. <laughs> or sold to people who smuggled drugs. Like, I'm not really clear on that point. But there was drug smuggling involved. And then it was confiscated by the DEA because <laughs> of that. Sold to the U.S. Marshals at, at auction. <laughs> Later on, again, fell into the hands of drug smugglers. I guess they stole it or they somehow bought it. And then it was confiscated again. Fantasy Island was not the only adventure this plane had. <laughs> Apparently not. And now it belongs to, um, uh, it was sold 
at a car auction, like a, a at apparently a plane auction. Right. Yeah. Well, that seems so. interesting because you know they. It makes sense that that's what they would do and that they might even have a mock-up for the guests and things that come off because the whole entrance or the whole intro to Fantasy Island of the plane flying in and the island and all that stuff was shot, you know, in Hawaii in a few places. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, but, but almost all of the show is shot in Burbank in a studio. Right. So when you've got your your guests getting off the plane, that's in a that's in California. Which you can also when we get, I guess we can mention it here. It's very clear that they're reusing footage. Yeah. Because I watched a couple episodes before it went off of Tubi, mm-hmm. and just for fun, <laughs> yeah. and um, it was I was like, oh, like the the way he says smiles everyone smiles and then he mm-hmm. points to the hawaiian girls who are dancing yeah, yeah they're looping old footage so 1998 was the first revival series that's the one we talked about with malcolm mcdowell mm-hmm. and there were three um as i said there were three assistants i will i will just say really quickly i loved the reboot of this in 98 and i have since gone back and watched all of them they were mm-hmm. on sci-fi for a bit um, I do, I can tell you why it was canceled after 13 episodes. The chemistry with the three assistants does not work. Mm-hmm. And there was too much emphasis on the three assistants and not on the guests and their okay. stories. And I, I think too that they had CGI, but not good. And so they were trying to use some, they were trying to use some techniques that they didn't fully have the capabilities of using. Okay. So then we had the horror movie. Yes. With Michael Pena. Which you saw. I did not. I did. I saw it. I really liked it. Nobody liked it but me. Okay. Um, Here's why I liked it. The horror movie, I think, had a dumb plot twist that did not need to be in there. So it there were parts of it that were poorly written. Mm-hmm. But... The the um, soul of the horror movie is much like we'll talk about the pilot when we get into our full recap. Yes. The the original basis of this show was a lot darker, and I think they pull at those darker elements, and they get that that a person's fantasy sometimes speaks to a dark part of them at times. Yeah. And that they can um, go awry. Right? But then it had a dumb twist. And then we had the Revival series in 2021. That was a little bit different. Have you watched that one? I haven't seen it. But yeah, I've seen all of them. You've seen the Revival series? Yeah. That one, Rourke is a woman. Yeah, Rourke is played by Rosalind Sanchez. Yep. She plays Elena Rourke. And she's supposed to be like the actual niece, which makes more sense than Julie. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, But it's also, it's not fully clear if she's niece or not, and she also seems to be some kind of an immoral, though she has had love affairs with other people. Well, Julie, like I mentioned, in the trial of Rourke, Rourke mentions Julie's his goddaughter in the original. Well, this character, the way that they set it up is that she's had this love and she had the choice of coming to the island to take over for Rourke, the other Mr. Rourke. And that she basically made the choice to to be the caretaker of the island. And Mm -hmm. so she kind of had to leave that behind. And then Kiara Barnes plays Ruby, her assistant, who gets a tattoo when she takes the assistant on. Her tattoo kind of magically appears on her. Oh, okay. Interesting. But 
she plays this woman who was older and her fantasy was to become younger. She was dying. Mm -hmm. And she becomes younger and then stays on the island and her husband leaves, which I would never do to you. Thank you. But I would like to be on the island and not die. (laughs) Okay. Um, But what's interesting, I think the acting is superb. Both of those women do amazing jobs. I think that the show... It's too soft. Mm -hmm. So the 98 version was a little darker. The original version was a little lighter, campier. This one doesn't quite know where to be. So it ends up being kind of like a Hallmark movie. Like, I enjoy it. It's nice. But it's, like, not flavorful. Okay. Does that make sense? It's not... It doesn't have the liquid center of a fruit gusher. (laughs) Thankfully. (laughs) Thankfully. Well, it might have, it might help in this case. Yeah, it needs a little spice to it. It needs like pick, be a little darker, be a little campier. Like, but, but by kind of being in between, it ends up being a little bland. Okay, that's how I put it. So that is a little, um, a few fun facts about the show and the remakes. And we'll take a break here. And when we come back, we'll do our full recap and we'll talk about our memories. Yep. This podcast is supported by its creators and listeners like you. Help keep our show ad-free by visiting our website, StopRuiningMyChildhood.com. There you can find links to our social media. And this very podcast you're currently listening to. Both Megan and I are authors, and you can find links to our books on our About page. And on our Watch With Us page, you can find videos and links for all the shows and movies we discuss on the podcast. And more importantly, links to buy the nostalgic snacks we review as well. We also post bonus content about once a month. So like, subscribe, and follow. For a small independent podcast like ours, it really does make a difference. Thanks. And now back to the show. All right, we're back. I'm Megan. And I'm Steve. It's our 26th episode, but if if this is your first time and you forgot our names. We're not making a big thing out of 26. 25 was the big deal. So we'll wait till 50 for another big thing. But I'm just saying, if you're joining us for the first time for Fantasy Island, and maybe you don't it's remember It's been a names. while, but we are Megan and Steve. Yeah. All right. Anyway, let's... So our memories. What are your memories of this show? I have I saw Fantasy Island probably... I've probably seen maybe 15 or 16 episodes in my life. Okay. So I saw... I remember watching it as a kid when it was on TV. It wasn't something that I, like, waited for every week. But I don't. I don't. I would say I probably saw half of those when they were on when I was really young, and then maybe some in syndication. Yeah, a lot in reruns. Yeah, in reruns. But TV Land had them a lot. I didn't watch had, TV Land a lot once we had cable. But um, but yeah, I have seen. You know, I, I'm I'm aware of the premise. I've seen the show a number of times. Um, so yeah, but it was not a big part of my childhood. Let me ask you this: Have you ever had an island vacation? Have you ever had an island vacation? No. Or a beach vacation? No. You've never... Well, I've gone to the beach, but not to an island. Although, technically, I grew up outside of Houston and Galveston Island. Galveston's a beach, but it's an island. It's like a sandbar. So, you go to the beach, It's a, the whole thing's a beach. And so, I've gone to Galveston a lot when I was young. Was it like a fancy island? It, it's, it's not you're a fantasy island. You're describing it like there's this sandbar that sometimes we'd swim up to. No, no, it's big. I mean, you oh, know, it's, okay. got a, it's got like a highway 
bridge that goes onto it. Oh, wow, all right. But it's basically the whole surrounding outskirts of the island or beach. I mean, it's a big, it's one big beach, basically. Yeah, we have not had, like, a beach vacation together where we get, like, a hotel room near a beach or, like, no. a cabana near a beach. But because... I have done that before. Yeah. I've done that, too, but we're more like, let's find a... Let's find a weird city with some museums. Right, right. We happen to be in one right now. That's why I'm kind of laughing about it. So your memories of the show. So my memories of this show um, are that, oh my, this is one of those shows that my mom really liked. And this show, it really does remind me of The Love Boat. So it's not surprising that the same people were involved. Because what you have are like all of these guest stars. And... Here's what you have to understand about Megan's life growing up is that I was, as I've said, and my mom says I make her sound like she's the meanest mother in the world on this show, but we really were not allowed to watch like many things. I, I don't think when this first came out, I would have been really allowed to watch it because there are a lot of innuendos. Right. right, and there well, you are. Would have been like, and like, I would have been, you would very have been five and under, so we really yeah. would have been too. Yeah, um, but she wa- she would watch it in reruns, yeah. right, along with Love Boat. But what's the- interesting is that it aired right after Love Boat. Oh yeah, that it makes sense. It aired at ten o'clock at night, right after Love Boat. But I think in the reruns they might have had them on at like six and seven or seven and eight, something mm-hmm. like that. And we didn't, like I said, for a while we didn't have cable. But then when I was like maybe in high school, middle school, we got cable right before I moved out for college. Yeah. <laughs> and and then at that point it was on like TBS, TV Land, like Nick at Night, like those kind of things. Yeah. But um, the. Oh, so the thing about me, though, is that while I was not allowed to watch a lot of things that were current TV, I did watch a lot of things from, like, the 40s. Okay. (laughs) Like, you know, black and white, like, a lot of, like, that kind of thing. So the thing about this show, that's who many times guest starred on these. Like, old time, like, they did have, so the episode we watched, we'll get into, but it had, like, Bob Denver, Michelle Phillips from The Mamas and the Papas, Bill Bixby. He was in the pilot. He was in the pilot, sorry. But it had a number of stars who were in things in the 60s and 70s. Like other Aaron Spelling shows, like The Love Boat, it had a lot of guest stars. Right, they'd have. Which were people that were kind of popular They'd have two or three guest stars each week, and there were some people who kind of had had careers in like the 40s, 50s, 60s, and by the 70s their careers were waning, and this is what they did. Like they'd do this, and then they'd go on like a game show, and they'd do Love Boat, and then they'd do Later on, an episode of Murder, She yeah. Wrote, right? Like, Hollywood Squares. Hollywood yeah. Squares, yeah. Um, all of those types of things. So I kind of have some fond memories of once in a while watching this with my mom. Mostly I think I rediscovered it when I was a little bit older. And then when the 98 version came out, a lot of the channels, that I would have been my first year of college, but I think that I watched it at home, like on break Mm -hmm. and possibly that they were doing a run where they showed like six or seven of a row to try to get people interested in it. Yes. And that's when I went back and watched like a bunch of the old ones where I could find them like when they were on reruns because the new one was out. And that's where I kind of really got into it. As like a 19 year old watching a show from the 70s and early 80s. Um, Not the coolest cat in the sorority house. But 
Um, yeah. So those are those are my memories. Just kind of really digging the sci-fi elements of the '98 one, and then um, really enjoying the campiness of the original. Yeah. So let's get into the episode. Let's get in the episode. So the episode we chose was from season five. So out of seven seasons, sort of in the middle. Yep. Um, episode twelve. Um, we have Mr. Rourke, of course, and Tattoo. We also have Julie at this point. Yes, I don't like Julie. Um, because Julie was on episode seasons five and six. And then seven, after Irve left, they had a guy who was like a butler. Yeah. The thing about Julie is that um, she's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> well, because the other two, you know, Rourke is mysterious. Tattoo is like the comic relief, okay? Mm-hmm. What is Julie doing there? They wanted originally like a really hot sexy girl for that part and they were like let's go with a girl next door kind of look and i'm like but she's so dull my thought was this and maybe it's not true but my read on it is that Irve, like you said he's pushing for more money i think he wants to be seen more serious Mm -hmm. and he is being he's more of the assistant and now she's the comic relief like you have that where she shows up and she's in the mud pit yeah right and so maybe they were trying to Instead of giving him more money, they were trying to be like, okay, well, you are not going to be the clown anymore. Yeah, that's a good read on it. They tried to have a few episodes that really featured him more. Yes. But like you're saying early on, like Tattoo the Love God in season three, he was the comic relief still. He was the clown. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. But I feel like um, just like... I've seen that actress in other things, and I've read about her, and she does seem like a really nice person, so I don't Mm -hmm. want to be mean about it, but um, there's an expression that's like, she has as much personality as a hairbrush. (laughs) (laughs) She's just a little too cutesy. My other read on it was possibly they were trying to bring in some younger viewers, because she was like a young 19-year-old girl. She's a young 19-year-old girl. She's blonde. She's got a little bit of like a Farrah Fawcett haircut. Yeah. Um, you know, little waves and things. Um, and then they throw her in a suit to look like Rourke and Tattoo. Um, but this opens up like all of them do with the introduction with the plane flying in. You get the beautiful, you know, tropical island, you know, scenery as the plane flies on the island and comes in. Um, you know, we have Tattoo up in the steeple screaming, the plane, the plane, as it comes around. Um, and of course, that. The great thing about that is, again, that's a cut because that steeple is actually in the California Botanical Gardens in L.A. And it's also... It's not in the island. It's, it's not also island. definitely that they filmed it one time. Yeah, and just repeated it. <laughs> just repeated it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then we have Rourke kind of introducing the three guests. Yep. And we get... The first one we get is is the guest's name is Don Winters, and that's he's played by Bob Denver. Yes. Um, and that's his... Um, that's not kinda, not John Denver. Steve not goes, John Denver. Bob Denver, who Steve, everyone knows from Gilligan's Island, who played yes, Gilligan. He played Gilligan on Gilligan's Island, but when he first comes up, Steve goes, "Is that John Denver?" Yeah. And I go, "The country singer, the country folk yeah. guy." No, no, Bob Denver. Bob Denver um, from Gilligan's Island, and also Dopey Gillis. Yes, yes, I love which, yeah. Dopey Gillis. Um, but yeah, so he's and his basic fantasy that we're going to get into is that he's a freelance photographer who owns a photography store and he wants to he has a dream of getting the perfect shot 
A photograph that no photographer has ever even conceived of before. Right. And the truth is he's not even a good he's not even a decent amateur photographer. No, he takes <laughs> a picture of them right at this beginning point and they all have their heads cut. Yeah, he takes a picture of Rourke, Julian, and Tattoo. And Tattoo is the only one in this picture. Yeah, um, which is also kind of a nice visual gag. So that's the introduction to the first one. But Rourke makes some, of course, mysterious comments that, like, he might get more than he has bargained for um, with this special camera that he's given. Right, right. Then we come to the second one. Yep, and her name is Martha Harris. Yep. And she is the granddaughter of Matahari, who was, you know, a spy and a dancer and supposedly, you know, seduced men, seduced war secrets in World War One out of uh, Germans, basically. Yeah, Matahari is an interesting, to me, a fascinating historical figure because she was one of the first female spies during World War One, and essentially she was accused by the French of being a double agent and betraying the French to the Germans. Yeah, and executed. And many people felt that she was wrongly accused of this and that she was kind of a scapegoat for the French army to kind of blame some of what had gone wrong right um on on her on her and so that's basically what martha's there to find out yeah she wants to find out what really happened with her grandmother um and so that's her fantasy um but the interesting thing is too is this is an interesting historical run to go with because today i don't know that many kids would know who matahari is yeah, yeah, because it was World War One, and I think a lot of times, you know, World War One was called the war to end all wars because it was military might on a scale that had not been seen yeah, before. Yeah, no one had ever seen anything like it because we had motorized vehicles, right. planes, it was trench warfare. Yeah, it was it was terrible compared to. Anything but else. typically in in history class in social studies, we pick up with World War Two. Yeah, yeah, we do touch on World War One, but normally not as much. And um, I think that's generational, at least for, for me, I know going through school, I didn't learn as much about World War One because my teachers were baby boomers. And of mm-hmm. course, their parents were the greatest generation who had fought in World War II. Yeah. And, and that silent generation who came out of World War One, who were the people before the greatest generation, much like Gen Xers. <laughs> I feel kind of um, silent and Gen X. It's like our names kind of say everything. We don't hear about them as much. And um, also sometimes they're called the lost generation. So it's, yeah, I think it's interesting that we have this story that features somebody from that time from period. From that time period. Now, anyway. It, it doesn't help, it doesn't hurt that she's sexy. And she oh, bears time. almost nothing, right? Big time. Yeah. Especially for this show, which like is borderline like swinging 70s at this yes, point. Yes, yeah. We did watch one from the 80s, but it's still got that vibe going yep. on. Um, and so then the third guest is, his name is William Lowell. And he is a geologist who like six weeks previous to this had been on an island um, scouting geological um, oil mm-hmm. deposits. You get this girl, Valerie, and what happened was they basically fell in love in two days. And That's then how it goes. she disappeared. Yeah. He turned around and she was gone, and he doesn't know what happened to her. And so he's decided to go back. He wants his fantasy is to go back to that island and find out what happened to her. Right. So those are the setup through the three stories, and we're going to go through one at a time. But what I want to say here is that what I really liked 
about the episode that we chose, I feel like was everything that Fantasy Island is. The first, the first story, the magic camera. There is a little bit of a romance there, but it's a little bit campy and humorous. And there yes. is magic, as the name implies. Right. The second story with Matahari, time travel, yep. which is like a staple of Fantasy Island. Magic, time travel. And then the third, the third story is romance epic romance and adventure right mm -hmm. and so those are like the key pieces that fantasy island a lot of times had epic romance epic adventure little bit of mystery little bit of magic maybe some time travel yes yes <laughs> to go to different time periods i'm so sad that we didn't get to watch one million bc where they go back and <laughs> <laughs> they're with the cavemen but um yeah so let's get into the first story with the magic camera so, the magic camera don winters of course he steps off the airplane and he's got like 76 cameras hanging around him right yeah. like is that how we're supposed to know he's a photographer that's how you know um, and That's then his he doesn't use any of them because Rourke gives him a magic camera, which looks a little bit like like a handheld film, like a handheld video camera, but it actually takes still shots and it's like a Polaroid. It's a very early Polaroid. It's a very early Polaroid, so yeah. it takes instant pictures. Um, and he sees a beautiful waterfall, so he wants to test it out, so he takes a shot of the waterfall, and when he pulls the picture out, he sees a naked girl swimming. Yes. And then he looks up, though, and there is no girl there. And he's like, what the heck? And tattoos with him. And he's like, whoa. Right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like three minutes later, this girl screams and there's a naked girl in there. So he realizes, right, that he actually, this, this camera takes future pictures. Right. And my, my highlight at this little beginning part is the huge, huge beach ball that the naked girl has under this waterfall to cover herself. To cover herself, yes. My other highlight is that Tattoo looks at him and goes, you can make some money off of this. Yeah. <laughs> and then they decide to go and play the stock market. Yeah, he goes in and takes a... He goes into the, the apparently Fantasy Island stock market. Well, there's a little town outside the resort, basically. Right. Yeah, it's called Fantasy. It's called the Fantasy Island Stocks or something like that. I know. So it's like, and he walks in, and they have all of the day's futures, um, in stocks written on a board, like their right. closings. And so he takes a picture of the board, and it shows him what tomorrow's will close at. So he can he can basically buy up a lot of. The stocks and futures he knows are going to jump tomorrow before they do. And then sell them in one day, which is not what you do with the stock well, market. Well, it's what you do when you short. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so that, and that, we don't deal a lot with that kind of stuff as much anymore, but. Right. Um, yeah, and so he, that's his, his plan to make tons of money. What I what I love about this part is um, old tech alert, the stocks are listed on a blackboard. Yes. That they've written on with chalk, and then they erase them and write in the new stock each time. So they have corn, barley, potatoes. Yeah, like, it's, it's it's commodities. Yes, it's commodities. Yep. But, um, but it's just interesting to me because, you know, it's like before that people read the ticker. Yes. After that, they would be on TV, like on like the news or on CNN, like they'd yeah. have this and in the paper was yeah. the prices. From it the still day is now. If you turn on the TV, it, yeah. it, it usually, or on a financial show, it'll be going by on the bottom. But now you can also like, you can Google it and you can look at like the five year 
overview oh, yeah. of what a stock has done or over the lifetime yep. of a stock, which I think is just fascinating how tech has changed. But anyway. Um, so then he goes to a bar and he's drinking and this blonde, cute blonde girl comes up to him, um, of course, and he was way out of his league, right? I mean, we're talking about Gilligan here. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, for some reason, she thinks he's cute. And she's also, like, 20 years younger than Yeah, him. and so he has the bartender take a picture of them together, almost like a selfie, but the bartender takes the picture with his magic camera. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes out, it's the two of them in the sack together because it shows the future. And I'm like, this guy's having the best day ever. Also, it's the naked girl from the waterfall. Oh, yeah, it's the same girl from the waterfall, yeah. So, Which I also, I felt like there were some jokes there that were missed. Like, oh, I didn't recognize your face. <laughs> yeah, I didn't recognize you with the clothes on. With the clothes right? on, yeah. yeah. Um, but she says, oh, real funny, you have a pornographic camera. Which, you know, sometimes it's interesting to me with the 70s that, like, they still have really high network standards in terms of what they can say on TV and what they can't. Mm-hmm. But that was a line that I was kind of surprised to hear. It really skirts. Yeah, definitely. And even, like, they do end up being in bed together. Right. And they've just met each other. Oh, yeah. Which, so here's why it's interesting. So That is a magic camera. It's a magic camera. I know that you don't love the show Friends, but the pilot of Friends had Courtney Cox talking, character Monica, Mm -hmm. talking about how she had had a one-night stand with a guy. Mm -hmm. And that was in 1994, and they almost didn't let it air. So the fact that, like, there's just a discussion about a one-night stand versus... Like, actually showing I'm them. Fantasy Island. I mean, they're like in obviously they're in like I know, he's in but, like a t shirt and boxers, but still it's it's very obvious that that's what's happening. And on. I realize it came on later at night, but this would have been five seasons in, so we're talking like eighty one, eighty two. Yeah, nine yeah, yeah, eighty, eighty one probably. Yeah. It just surprised me, that's all. Yep. It's not like a highlight or a low light necessarily. So it's they just actually surprising. end up together in the bed. Yes. And then he gets up and she takes a picture of him. And the picture that comes out shows him dead under like a, a under like a canvas and police are standing around him. Yes. So now he freaks out because he's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die tomorrow. And that kind of pushes the plot. Forward. So essentially what we find out, just to give a little bit of a quicker recap. Yeah. Eventually what we find out is this. He had won a lot of money in the stock market. Mm-hmm. And... There was a an escaped criminal who was chasing after him to get the money and to find out like how he had made the money so quickly. Right. So the escaped criminal takes his wallet. Yeah, he takes his. He, he basically breaks in while they're in bed together again and steals his clothes and runs off taking his car, I think, and his wallet. Yeah, which is actually kind of a funny scene because. Bob Denver's character is like, this isn't how I die, so I'm not really afraid of you. I've seen a yeah, picture of my Yeah, because he saw dad. a picture of him like that, yep. He's <laughs> like, his... I don't die in a car crash, because he's like, get in the car. Yeah, so it's kind of funny in a way. But we do have, again, this little bit of a darker element, and the implication that you were kind of greedy, and now you have to pay the price. And yeah. if you had just really tried to take... The picture that you wanted to take in this artistic way that you claimed you wanted, none of this would have happened. But it, it's because you went after the money. Yeah. So the criminal ends up in the car crash and dies. Bob Denver's character, Don Winter, slips. 
right. and falls under a tent, and that's what the police are helping him get up, and he's like knocked out cold when the picture's taken. When the picture's taken. Yep. But um, then he and the girl from the waterfall they fall in love and they're getting married yeah well she and they mentioned earlier in the, that they don't live far apart they're from ohio or indiana yeah and so he's basically says i'm leaving taking the pictures up to the professionals and i'm going to expand my photoshop business basically yeah and use the money to improve his shop yeah. and realize that even though he loves photography, he doesn't have to be the best photographer. He can just help photographers by like right. giving them the equipment they need or whatever. But the, the love story between the two of them, this is by Lowlight. I do not buy it at all. Bob Denver is not playing Gilligan, but he's not that far off from Gilligan. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, it's one of those things where you have to you have to start wondering where the blurred line is. Yeah, of how much is bob denver and how much is gilligan and where is that you know or is it is it kind of like a ryan reynolds where a lot of them a lot of his characters are similar because of his personality yeah a little bit and because physically it's a lot of physical comedy right, right. he's a bit gangly and he's a good physical comedian yeah. but this girl is at least 15 years younger than him and as you said way out of his league yeah. and i don't see them striking up a conversation but also this is what happened a lot of times on this show and Love Boat that you have people who are supposed to fall in love and get married and like right, in two they days very quickly. Yeah. Well, she felt comfortable with him because he'd already seen her naked. I'm gonna <laughs> oh with the God. magic camera. No. I will tell you too. This show, I do think I had seen Love Boat more often as a very young kid, and I did probably see like some of the tamer ones of this that mm -hmm. my mom had probably seen and was like, okay. I really did think for a very long time. <laughs> like longer than I would like to admit that um, that's how that worked and that's how that happened. You just met and fell in love in two days? Yeah, I thought that, um, well, and okay, so I have like some older cousins and, and I have an aunt who's like in between my age and my mom's mm -hmm. age, right? Um, and all of them got married right after college. Right. So I just thought that like, you go to college and you meet somebody you fall in love in like a day or two. And then that's your person. And that's your person. Or you meet like in high school or like when you're very young. Right. And then that and then you have to wait till you're old enough. There you go. But that's not how love that's not how love came to me, unfortunately. As the song from Splash goes. Yeah. So what I was going to say, basically, to wrap that up is, that's the part that <laughs> did kind of ruin my childhood. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what I thought about when people fell in love. Um, yeah. So then we move on to Mata Hari. Yeah. So Mata Hari, which is Martha Harris's fantasy, that's the B story here, kind of. Um, basically, she gets transported back into Mata Hari's body. Mm hmm And so she's thrown into a... Basically, a bar where she's singing in France during World War One, um, and it becomes very obvious she's pulled aside by a French officer who's madly in love with her and is basically like, "Get the secrets from the Germans." Wait, and we know he's madly in love with her because he says, "Because he says I'm madly in love." He's with madly her. in love with her. I mean, you're the love on, of my life. Obvious. Yeah. Um, and then she goes over to this German spy that she's supposed to get secrets from, and he says that he's madly in love with her, and that she's getting him the French codes. Yes. And so all of a sudden you're like, oh, maybe she is actually a double agent. 
Um, and it's and it's really not clear. And also, oh my gosh, this way this is my favorite part because before that happens, or just after, she's asked to do her famous dancing. Yes, because Matahari does like a belly dance kind of dance. Right. Now, here's the thing. I have done belly dance. I'm actually, that's probably the only dance that I can do. (laughs) Um, I'm not bad at it, and I was in a troupe for a little bit. Mm -hmm. The belly dancing that she does... I think even if you weren't a belly dancer, you'd be like, what is she doing? <laughs> now, it is supposed to be because... She's kind of a fish out of water a little right, bit. Right, and yeah. she's she's supposed to be very awkward, but she, she does... I'm sorry to laugh so much. She does this, like, very awkward, like, she kind of, like, steps and, like, m- moves her hip and then steps to the other side and moves her hip and they're like, woo! Yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, okay, I'm done. And of course, during World War One, especially, probably the most excitement is her outfit because right. she's in this belly dancing kind of "I Dream of Genie" outfit, well, which, which is showing a lot of skin. Which is the other hilarious thing because there are a lot of photographs of Matahari because she was an exotic dancer and mm-hmm. a, a belly dancer, and because she was an entertainer, they would have at that time like cards that they would give out right. and pictures of themselves and all that. And this, the styling here is so early 80s. She's got like the big, almost like Diana Ross hair, like the big curly hair Mm -hmm. and sequins. And like, it doesn't look anything. It's a 1980 version of what that would look like. Of what that would look like. Yeah. Which is kind of funny to me. Um, So yeah, it's really not clear. And also kind of not clear who she's actually in love with because both of these guys seem pretty taken by her. Yeah. The French catcher Mm -hmm. and they search her and she has both codes, the German and French. So you're not sure where she was going to. And of course, Martha doesn't know. She's just been transporting this body, right? And she says that multiple times. Yeah, like, she's like, I'm it's not, not me. I'm her granddaughter. And they're like, whatever, right? Um, but, of course, these two spies, you find out, really do love her. Mm-hmm. And they meet secretly and concoct a plan. Because they wanted her captured, but they really don't want her killed. But that's what has to happen. That's what has to happen. So we have kind of this interesting, like, Romeo and Juliet kind of thing where... They take her to the firing squad. He tells the firing squad that somebody has blanks. Which is how it was done. Which is how it was done. To alleviate the conscience of the shooters so that you didn't, no one knew who actually shot the person. Yeah. Uh, that's so sad. But in reality, all of them have blanks. And he, he, gives in her, this instance, he gives her a drug that basically knocks her out. I was going to say, in reality, nobody has blanks. Right. I mean, but, come on. But yeah, so here he gives her a drug and he tells her one last drink. She drinks it. Just as the firing squad all fire their blanks, she slumps over. He puts her in the back of a bus. And then Rourke shows up and he's like, did you find out what you wanted to find out? She's like, no. When I really liked that they didn't have a pat answer for her. I kind of liked that, that no, this is a person who was a spy. Spies do things that are underhanded. And sometimes the allegiances and the loyalties are very difficult to figure out. And also, this is during the Cold War when we're doing that kind of same thing with Soviet yeah. Russia and there are well, questions before that. Well, you mean in the 80s, yeah. No, in the 80s, yeah, yeah when the yep. show is being made. 
um, we're having that same kind of interaction with our spies and their spies yep. and whose whose allegiance is where. Um, so it was kind of interesting. But she at least understood what her grandmother felt, which was that you you don't really know who's the good guy and the bad guy. She was kind of caught between two worlds, basically. Right. And that possibly had feelings for both men. But also being a woman put her in a precarious situation to begin with, and she's just kind of trying to survive. That's yeah. what it seemed like, which I thought was an interesting lesson for her to learn there. So then we move on to the third, the C story, which Valerie. is Valerie. Um, and we have our geologist friend, um, William Lowell, who Mr. Rourke basically brings him to the entrance of a cave and says this cave goes underwater and leads to the other island that you were on. Right, so you can only use the cave at certain points. Yeah, only it, during low tide. At other points it fills up, and if you don't make it through quickly enough, you will drown. You will drown, he says, yeah. Go ahead! Yeah, and, <laughs> and he's like, the guy's well. like, is it safe? And he's like, oh, it's perfectly safe, as long as it's during low tide. If not, it's fatal. And yeah. you're like, wait a second, but he just asked you if it was safe. It's perfectly safe for the next 20 minutes. Yeah. Run! Um, <laughs> So he, so he does go through and he, he he shows up in the town that he lost Valerie in. Yeah. It's a little bit like um, the movie Laura, which kind of inspired Twin Peaks a little bit with Laura Palmer, that you have a guy who's obsessed with a woman that he can't find and there's a mystery and she might be dead. Right. So she, he's told by her father that she is dead. <laughs> he goes, tell him about the grave. Yeah, he goes, she... He goes, well, that day, I remember that day, the father says, she came back from town in spite of fever, and the next day she died. So I buried her here, and he brings her, he brings them, like, into the middle of the jungle. I mean, there's not even a path. Yeah. And he's like, here's the grave. And there's a grave with a wooden cross jammed in, and it just says Valerie. No last name, no dates, nothing. No rest in peace. And it's not a piece of wood that probably is going to be rotted in about a year. I'm like, oh, real, a lot of care here for Valerie. Because it's a rainforest. Yeah. And Steve turns at this point. Steve goes, you have to pause it. And he's just shaking his head. And I go, what? And he goes, he goes no last name, no date. <laughs> You know, no anything. And also, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's not like it's right by his house. Right. Which, because it's in the middle of nowhere, our friend the geologist decides to do what geologists well, do, he, which is dig in the earth. He sees her. Yeah, he sees Watching her. him. And he kind of chases her, but she, he can't find her. So he goes back and he digs up the grave. And while the dad had no interest in even marking this grave for a long period of time or remembering his daughter was buried there, right? Because we do find out it's a fake grave and she's not there. Yeah. He did bury like a $10,000 casket. Right. Which is empty. So you, you couldn't you couldn't fork the money for a headstone. I'd be honest. But you buried an empty casket? I'm going to be honest. If there had been a legit headstone, he might not have dug it up. I know, right? <laughs> then he would have had to bury this empty yeah. casket for no reason. Well, maybe it's his casket for later when he's yeah. passed. So we, at any rate, we find out he's chasing Valerie. He sees her. He thinks she might be a ghost. And really, what's cool is because it's Fantasy Island, you don't know. You don't know if she's because a ghost. Sometimes if she's not there, a ghost. Because yeah. sometimes there are ghosts on yeah. Fantasy Island. You don't know if the dad killed her. He's. I mean, at one point you think maybe yeah. the dad's hiding something. You find out that it's thugs. And, right. Well, one of them is the sheriff. Yeah, you find out that a sheriff and this other oil company mm -hmm. basically went in on it together, and 
she found out that they were doing some unethical stuff and she was going to report it and so they were chasing her and the dad faked her death to try to get them off her scent and now they're coming back to kill her they chase them through the caves and just as they run out the tide comes up and then Rourke says oh no those men they think that you are dead because the tide came in and they figured you had drowned and they will go to jail for a very long time. And you're like, but how, how are they going to jail? Rourke's got it covered. Apparently, mysteriously. Rourke's like, I got people. Don't worry about it. That's the nice thing about this show is when you have plot holes, you can just be like, magic. Rourke's magic. He's got it covered. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's the C story. So it kind of wraps up again. The three of them get on the plane. And then they're going to also, oh, also, before they get on the plane, Rourke says to William, are you are you going to have a good time together now that you're away from the danger? And he goes, oh, yeah. And especially once I pop a certain question on the plane. And Valerie's like, oh, but why not just ask her while you're on the beautiful island? Why are you going to wait till you're in the prop plane? Because then she don't have a choice. She's got to say yes on the plane. <laughs> she says no. You ta- open a door and just toss her just in the ocean. Bye, Valerie. Yeah. Oh, you oh. want to rethink that, Valerie? Also, we didn't mention that Valerie is played by Michelle Phillips, who was in The Mamas and the Papas. Yes. So, um, the mother of Mackenzie Phillips, if I'm not mistaken. It, again, because there's so many coast, there's so many like um, guest stars. Guest stars on this show, yeah. So basically, that's how the show ends. Everybody has a happy ending. Yes. Valerie yeah. and William are getting married. Bob Denver and the the swimming girl are getting married, and the the woman who wanted to know about her grandmother got to understand her yeah. family history. Martha Harris isn't getting married, but no. she does have some closure about her grandma. And, and understands her family history better and where her parents came from and her yeah. grandmother came and from. And Rourke, as she's getting on the plane, hands her a box with medals that both of the spies won. Because right. they were both men that her grandma had loved. Yes, I forgot about that. Which is an interesting, you know, note because World War One really <sighs> was fought because of um, people who were family members in European countries got mad at each other. Yeah, basically. It's a lot different than World War Two. Right. And, um, yeah, so it's it's an interesting way to close. It's an interesting look back at history. And we have two fine romances end out with marriage. Um, so we were going to watch another one that Steve did pick during What is Steve Willing to Watch? And it was not there. And then we thought that we had enough to talk about, which we clearly do, from the three stories. But we did watch the pilot. And um, I don't want to talk about the pilot or recap it because it's not like the rest of the series. Right. So we kind of made that choice. But just just to tell you guys, oh my goodness, I will link this on our blog. The pilot episode, here are the three stories. One man is a hunter and he wants to have the best hunt in the world. And basically he is hunted. He wants to be hunted by the best hunters. Yeah, because he thinks he's the best hunter. Right. And so it's like the most dangerous game where he's hunted. Another woman is pretending that she's dead and she wants to attend her own funeral. So they fake her death and at her own funeral, dressed as someone else, she finds out that her husband's been having an affair. And everyone hates her, basically. And the assistant is the only person who's kind of seems like she still likes her. Mm. She tells the assistant that she's alive, and the assistant then tries to shove her off 
of cliff. a cliff because she's been having an affair with the husband. Yes. And then the third story is a man who wanted to reunite with a Bill, that's Bill Bixby. Mm-hmm. Reunite with a woman who he had loved for a brief time during World War II. He goes back and he's in her apartment and they're recreating this love affair. And he has flashbacks and he remembers that he murdered her because he tried to ask her to be with him forever. And she was like, I'm like a good time girl. This is a fling. This is not anything big. When he realizes that, he thinks the woman he's with is a fake and murders her again. Yes. So... Then he goes out and he's like, I murdered someone last night. And Rourke's like, she left on a plane yesterday. Yeah, he's like, magic. No, you didn't. (laughs) But you did murder someone 20 years ago. Right. Or 30 years ago. Exactly. Um, But we have these really, all three are very dark stories. Yeah. And the one guy who's done the murder basically is insane at the end Mm -hmm. the woman who was almost murdered the assistant slipped and fell when when trying to push her off the cliff and she died and the woman just kind of decides to forgive her husband but kind of it over him blackmail him basically it's very much like you're gonna be the perfect husband now or i'll tell the police you tried to kill me yeah yeah it's very much like gone girl um and then the third one i can't even remember the hunting one one, basically he realizes what it actually means to be hunted yeah i mean it is so it is so dark and it's interesting to me that the rest of the show ended up i think that's where you get some network interference Uh that they were like we want something more like the love boat but on an island instead of a boat and they were like oh okay then (laughs) let's just do that um you know, it's also interesting that he mentions in the actual pilot, they mention that it's $50,000 right, per person to do your fantasy island. For three days. They never really mention that again. And some of the people that show up, like by season five, you know, Bob Denver's character, I'm like, I don't think he had 50 grand. <laughs> I'm like, maybe they just opened it up. Whatever you got. It seems like some of them are there on scholarship. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's just to lose a little bit there. So it was an interesting revisit. What did critics think of it at the time? So this was a very popular show at the time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it aired, like I said, at 10 o'clock right after Love Boat. It's a good lead in. Mm-hmm. A lot of the same people that watch Love Boat are going to watch Fantasy Island. Um, so that was a good spot, time slot for it anyway. But, you know, it, the critics and everyone kind of liked it. Um, it went into syndication seven seven seasons as a lot of episodes. IMDb has a 6.2 out of 10. Okay. But most of them are positive ratings. Most of the people you could tell are viewers and things yeah. are like 8, 9 out of 10. All in all, it was well-received. You know, and again, it lasted seven seasons, which is a lot of time. Yeah, I think more, probably more popular than critically acclaimed. No, right. Nobody won, like, Emmys right. for this or anything No, like no, that, but, but again, it was, you know, again, this is a, it's a popular show. Yeah. That's what it's for, isn't it, you know? So, how did we feel about it? I am gonna, you know, I did like it. I liked it a lot more than I remembered. I like the storylines. I like how it has it. But what I will say is that it does try to cram a lot into an hour. Yes. You know, it's one of the reasons we chose to just do one episode, because with three storylines, it really can, I mean, that's enough, just going through the three storylines, right? Yeah. And so, I think because of that, you lose a little bit. Mm. Like, the stories move very quickly, because they're they're jumping from one to the other to the other yeah. all the time. There was also a lot less of Rourke than I thought there would be. He visits each one of them briefly. Briefly. But it's really... 
Rourke tattoo and to a certain extent Julie are really more of a framework. Yeah, they're for an intro and an exit, basically. Which was kind of disappointing to me. I thought that there would be he would be in there more often. Yeah. Um, you know, but I did I did like the story ideas. It's interesting. And so I did like it. But I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. Okay. So kind of close to the IMDB rating. Yeah, I guess yeah. I would be. Um, for me, I kind of agree with you. The cuts were way quicker than I remembered. But, you know, part of that, I think, is that there would have been commercials. Because there were no commercials on YouTube, you don't get the break, the act breaks between stories. And, um, sometimes I think, you know, with streaming that we lose the commercials and sometimes commercials can give you like a little bit of a cognitive break <laughs> to kind of take in what you've what you've just seen um i love the actual fantasy of this and it is just kind of a fluffy fun show i love harlem lark <laughs> so the the idea that it's kind of you know those light little romances i do feel and i have not watched love boat since i was probably like 8 um but I think my memory of that of Love Boat is that it's kind of not got that little bit of edge that Fantasy Island has yes. that makes it more interesting. I really love that people come to a different psychological understanding of themselves or of their families or of their history, you know, um, different things like that. And, and it's also a fun show. You know, there are some episodes that are not great. Like we talked with Little House because it... it, it aired for so long of a time right. and because it was this like campy time of tv there's one episode where like people's fantasy is to win a cooking contest right like that kind of thing right but um yeah i think i'm gonna go i'm gonna give it an eight i would watch more of these if it went back on tubi or if it came on paramount i would watch them okay um for fun and i probably would watch straight through i mean skipping some but i've seen a good number of these actually in the last couple weeks before it went off to be with like no explanation so So, so seven planes out of ten that's our average we're not too far away from each other on this one and we agreed at two planes out of five for gushers yeah i don't want to eat those again we're gonna have to give the fantasy island went down better than gushers yeah we're gonna have to give the rest of gushers to like our nieces and nephews yeah just take some candy kids (laughs) see how they like them i don't know they might like them better than us so um normally this is my favorite segment of what is steve willing to watch but we don't have that this time. Oh. I know you're very disappointed. Um, yeah, we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. And what ended up happening with some of our summer picks that Steve and I had picked before is that we couldn't find them because there were some forgotten 80s things. Yep. So, like, we wanted to do Camp Candy and we couldn't find that. Um But what we're going to do coming up, we're going to have a 4th of July episode for our movie and complete this cycle. So Gem was our cartoon. And we interrupted that with two bonuses. But Gem was our cartoon. And then we had Fantasy Island for our live action TV. And our next movie is... Top Gun. Because... The sequel came out, Maverick, and we wanted to go and see Maverick, and we will give a spoiler-free, brief, mini 
preview review yeah. of Maverick, but mostly we'll be focusing on Top Gun and our memories just like we did today. And that'll be for the 4th of July. For 4th of July. And then after that, we're going to start our cycle again with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The cartoon. The cartoon. The yes. original cartoon. So we're super excited for that. So on our 4th of July movie episode with Top Gun, we'll, um, we'll have, what is Steve willing to watch when it comes to T- That's true. TMNT, Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles. Spoiler everything. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Oh, I'm excited. Okay. So that's it for us today. Don't forget to hit subscribe, like, rate, and especially review. Um, I can't even tell you guys how much when when we have comments on episodes, like on Facebook, when we have reviews, it really helps us get seen by other people and um, bring this show to more people to yeah, enjoy. Yeah, and if you have ideas, drop them in too. We've, we've done a couple episodes now that we're fan- yeah um, fan comments or suggestions all of the links to listen are on our website at stop where you can also find our our watch with us blog where we have the links to some of the things that we talk about and all the links to the shows but really the best way to reach us is on our facebook page so if yeah. you dm us on facebook we get back to you pretty quickly and um keep those comments coming because it's been some really great conversations that we've had so far so that's it i'm megan and i'm steve have a great week everybody mm-hmm.